0: Welcome to Living Well with Dr. Peg, where psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark explores a variety of mental health, wellness, and safety topics and shares biblically-based psychological strategies for living well and staying safe. Now, here is your host of Living Well with Dr. Peg, Dr. Peggy
1: Mitchell-Clark.
2: Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and I've got my engineer with me, Dave Danson Kitas, my new nickname for you, Dave.
3: (laughs) I like it. I like it. All
2: right. I hope you had a good holiday with your family.
3: I did. It was awesome. Okay. We went to a wet parade.
2: A wet parade. Now, what in the world is that?
3: So, it was down in Florence, Colorado, just south of Colorado Springs, and there was fire trucks, water trucks, water guns, buckets of water everywhere. It It was the wettest thing I've ever been to. It was really, really fun. My kids loved it, and a fireman actually got me. Right, point blank, <laughs> with a fire hose.
2: All right. That's well, never
3: happened to me before. Well,
2: that's great. Well, you know, living well with Dr. Pegg is a play on words for living water. And so you got you got uh, well <laughs> yesterday. Well, awesome. Uh, we um, are going to be talking about uh, how important it is to keep your family safe. Family's so important. And we're talking about a tragic story that happened last week that should remind us to all hold our families dear And after the deadly shooting at the Capital Gazette newspaper offices in Annapolis, Maryland, last week, workplace safety is really on the top of everyone's mind. And here on Living Well with Dr. Pegg, one of our goals is to ensure that you do have the best, most accurate information about safety and security so that you and your families can live well and stay safe. And so I've got on the phone with me today... Uh, two gentlemen who will be sharing their expertise with us and help us understand what happened at the Capitol Gazette and how we can work together to prevent this kind of tragedy from happening again. And my guests today are national safety and security expert Michael Yorio and law enforcement professional Chief Todd Evans. And we'll hear from them in just a moment. Uh, But first, Living Well with Dr. Pegg is brought to you every Thursday from 1 to 2 Mountain on KLZ 560 AM, and you can also listen online at drpegradio.com. And we couldn't do what we do without our sponsor, SSI Guardian, who set the new standard in advanced safety education training and has the only evidence-based program of its kind with an accredited CEU. And everyone needs evidence-based practices and existing solutions that are proven to make schools and workplaces safer. And with SSI Guardian, you're getting the right training the right equipment, and correct action plans. Contact SSI Guardian today at SSIGuardian.com and tell them Dr. Pegg sent you. Well, last week we had a terrible tragedy at the Capital Gazette newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, and five people were killed, four journalists and one sales assistant. And according to ABC News, uh, the assailant who's charged with five counts of first-degree murder apparently had a longstanding grudge against the local paper after the newspaper wrote a story about him in, a, in connection with a stalking case in 2012. And he was upset with the story and even created a website where he allegedly expressed his frustration and anger towards the reporter and the newspaper. And he later filed a defamation lawsuit against the paper. Now, the lawsuit was the beginning of what's been described as an ongoing campaign of hatred directed toward the Capital Gazette, and over a period of years he sued lawyers, judges, and anybody who crossed his path and disagreed with him. And the assailant reportedly continued to rant on his Facebook page to a point that the reporters at the paper were feeling threatened physically, and USA Today described him as an angry man who became obsessed with the people he felt wronged him. Uh, from a former high school classmate and her lawyer to the judges that he appeared before and the journalists who exposed his campaign of harassment. Well, the police were eventually contacted, but according to the police, the Capitol Gazette did not wish to pursue criminal charges due to their fear that reporting him would exacerbate the situation. And eventually he exhausted all of his appeals but continued to post concerning comments regularly on social media. Now, fast forward to last Friday when the assailant showed up at the newspaper and barricaded the door to stop people from getting out and opened fire. It's since been revealed that he sent letters the day of the shooting uh, to the newspaper's former attorney, a courthouse in Baltimore, the Maryland Court of Special Appeals, and a law office announcing his intentions to kill every person present. So such a tragic story. The facts are still unfolding and to help us to understand uh, workplace violence, how to respond if we encounter an attack at our place of work, and importantly, how to prevent workplace violence. I have on the phone with me today Michael Yorio, who's a national safety and security expert and president of SSI Guardian, the leader in advanced active shooter education and training. And joining him is Chief Todd Evans, a seasoned law enforcement professional who's been chief of the El Paso County Sheriff's Office and chief of police for the Fountain Police Department here in Colorado, and he also has an extensive background in many facets of law enforcement, including SWAT, a gang unit, campus safety, and executive protection. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, Michael Uriel, we'll start with you. Thanks so much for being on the program with me today.
0: Dr. Peggy, good afternoon. Always a pleasure to be with you.
2: Thanks so much, and we're hoping we'll get uh, Chief Todd Evans on the phone. Uh, later to uh, chime in with his law enforcement perspective. Uh, but Michael, before we get going, I do want to say the names of the five victims who died. Uh, they were all employees of the Capital Gazette. We tend to focus so much attention, as we will today, on the assailant and their motives and what they did and how we can um, you know, respond in an active shooter where they're at the center of what's going on. But I don't want to forget to acknowledge and remember those um, those victims. Uh, Wendy Winters, Robert Heisen, Gerald Fishman, John McNamara, and Rebecca Smith. May they all rest in peace. Uh, But, Michael, thanks so much for um, being willing to share your expertise. Uh, We know that school safety has been on everyone's radar. Uh, There's been so many recent events in schools, and we're feeling our children are so vulnerable. But how common is workplace violence? Well,
0: it's very common. And just before I get started, I, I echo your Warm thoughts for Annapolis. Um, I actually lived in Annapolis for a number of years, so I I know that city very well. I know the community fairly well, and uh, it's just very, very sad. Businesses are, in fact, the number one most impacted vertical when it comes to active shooter incidents, um, followed by education. So really we're talking about school safety and overall institutional safety, Uh, when we talk about helping businesses and schools prepare and hopefully prevent active shooter situations, and God forbid when these heinous acts take place, having the right options at their disposal to make the right decisions. Um, As as I follow this latest event in the media and through some other sources, um, it was very clear once again, and I'm very sad to report this, that there seemed to be a lot of confusion indicating that people didn't have these options So suggesting that appropriate training perhaps was not implemented. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a very, very sad, uh, just another sad reminder of what's taking place out there.
2: Yes, and and it's not going away. Um, The number one location for this type of violent attack is business. It's commerce. Um, Out of um, about 250 of these incidents that have been tracked by the FBI between 2000 and 2017, almost half of them are occurring in businesses that are open to pedestrian traffic or even those closed to pedestrian traffic, malls are included in this category. So even if we don't work in those businesses, we are probably patrons of these kinds of places. And so workplace safety training is going to be so important uh, now, Michael, as we review the facts of any tragedy, and even even this one, as the facts are still unfolding, uh, we know hindsight is twenty twenty. But talk about some of the safety concerns that do exist for all of us in our workplaces.
0: Everybody needs to be prepared, as you just alluded to, Dr. Peggy. These things can happen at virtually anywhere, whether it's a concert, whether it's a business that's open to the public or behind. Um, more of a closed private setting, such as the uh, newspaper setting. So no one is immune. Everybody needs to be prepared. So it's important that we all, as as citizens, as civilians, that we fought, learn and follow preventative best practices.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: things, simple things, things that we can control ourselves, such as situational awareness. Um, again, we see an attacker who there were many, many signs, including letters that he had wrote, comments that he had made over and over and over again. Um, So that really starts with the preparation and the preventive mindset. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And we'll get more in depth uh, into all of that as we go through um, uh, the the hour. I'm speaking with Michael Yorio, who's president of SSI Guardian and a national safety and security expert. And I also have on the phone with me uh, Chief Todd Evans, who is a a uh, seasoned law enforcement professional here in Colorado. Chief Todd, thanks for being on the program. Welcome.
4: Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Peggy. It's great to be here with you and Michael.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. You know, Chief, the Secret Service and FBI have reported that personal grievances are very common as motives in workplace violence and grievances related to something going wrong at work, or at least they perceive something's gone wrong, domestic or some other common, um, uh, some other issue are really common. Um, This assailant had a grievance related to um, a perceived relationship. He had a grievance about how the courts and the newspaper had handled him, and really a perfect storm of motives, so to speak. Um, As Michael had stated earlier, he made so many threats over the years, uh, some veiled, some more direct. How important is it to take these kinds of threats seriously? Uh, the, The newspaper made law enforcement aware but they didn't ultimately want to press charges they thought it would exacerbate the the situation in your experience how important is it to take it seriously contact law enforcement and follow through by pressing whatever relevant charges are applicable
4: you know because we're learning everything you just mentioned uh dr Peggy, we have to start listening and we we hear individuals but then we make the assumption that they are just words and they're not uh, planning on taking action. And the best I've heard it summarized through, throughout my career is, is a uh, term that you use, and that's injustice collector. Uh, the first, when you and I were out training and I heard you use, use that term, it just hit home for me on all of the cases that I worked through the years that were similar to these, where people had threatened, people had stalked, uh, domestic violence falls into that, uh, workplace violence falls into that, which we're talking about today. But I've also had many employees that have worked for me that were injustice collectors. And when you have those individuals, we have to start paying attention. We have to listen to what they're telling us that they might do. And it is kind of been the norm that people say, well, they're just blowing off steam or they're just talking on social media. They wouldn't really do that. And now and now we're finding out more and more that no, that's actually what they're doing. And they're doing more than just talking about it, they're planning it. And then ultimately we find out that occurred and this didn't just occur in Annapolis, it occurred at Parkland as well, the same type of MO that you're talking about, and we're seeing it more and more. So when people make threats and they talk, we've got to listen.
2: We've got to listen. And, and to clarify, injustice collector is that person who, well, whether it's real or perceived, they're take they're not taking responsibility for the things that are happening to them, and they're pointing the finger at everyone else, blaming everyone else, and kind of collecting up all of those Real or perceived injustices to justify the actions that they're planning or that they may even threaten. Um, Michael uh, Yorio, Uh, who is president of SSI Guardian. I want to bring you in uh, back into the conversation. Uh, Some of these threats were made on social media. Can you talk about uh, cyber threats, uh, the things that he posted online? And we know that so many incidents have been thwarted when people see the social media posts, they see these veiled threats or even direct threats, and they actually do report it. Um, But talk about um, cyber threats and how we should interpret those, what we should do when we see things posted online.
0: Many of the threats received today are, in fact, uh, do have a cyber nature to them because this is the digital age that we live in, and whether it's social media, uh, whether it's, it's an email, text, what have you. So, various when it comes to identifying threats made via, via let's call it, cyber apparatus, um, they are more and more frequent. Um, and, and one could argue, I, I don't have hard data to back this up, and I'm pretty confident in saying this. That I believe the majority of, of threats, and when we talk about bullying, cyber bullying, have now surpassed the traditional uh, threats and bullying as we all thought about growing up, perhaps in school. So it's a new threat, if you will, I'm not meaning brand new today, but it's one that keeps growing and evolving, and quite frankly, challenging because not everybody's really uh, got a grasp of how do we combat this. Um, now, to your point, many incidents have. In fact, been throttled and stopped by people taking action. So, to the chief's point, it's not just somebody having a bad day. We need to kind of get out of that mindset. We don't want to panic and alarm and make people paranoid, but there's a definitive line. You know, what is somebody being humorous? What is somebody having a bad day to something that is, whoa, this is really concerning and people need to have the uh, fortitude and courage to step up, report these things to whether it's a supervisor, a teacher, a parent, law enforcement in this case, and don't be afraid to do that.
2: Absolutely, so the the Homeland Security um, Initiative, if you see something, say something, really is relevant here, whether it's in person, whether it's online. Uh, Chief, how important has that been for law enforcement that the public is being educated? If you see something, say something.
4: Very important, you know, here in Colorado, we started different processes uh, after Columbine occurred um, where individuals have the ability to call in anonymously and just give that type of information. But every year we've seen those numbers increase and it has thwarted multiple, um, many, many incidents that could have occurred because people are actually calling in and utilizing um, the different processes to to get the information out there. And, and this is something that we, all, we need to look at from a legislative perspective as well, because law enforcement is very, very, their hands are very, hand, uh, they're, they're handcuffed because they don't have a lot of ability to move forward just based off of something someone might say on social media. But we're seeing such a uh, trend and these things, people saying them and then doing them. We need to give our law enforcement, um, our mental health uh, professionals more ability to bring individuals in and give them the help they need rather than making an assumption that just because they said it, they may not do
3: that.
2: Right. And it's really um, trying to balance their rights and freedom of speech with the with the a desire to keep the public safe and right. uh, being able to differentiate between the two. Well, I'm speaking with safety and security Agreed. expert and president of SSI Guardian Michael Urio. And he's joined by Chief Todd Evans. I've got them both on the telephone. Chief Todd Evans is a a law enforcement professional with a variety of um, experience. And we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we are taking your calls today. If you want to tell us what your workplace is doing to keep you safe, or if you have a question for Michael Yorio or Chief Todd Evans about proper lockdown procedures, for example, you can give us a call today at 303-477-477. 5,600. And when we come back, should we be thinking about workplace safety in the same way as school safety? Is hardening our workplaces an option? Michael, Yorio, and Chief Todd give us uh, their thoughts when we return. Stay with us.
1: Don't trust your safety to just anyone. SSI Guardian is the only choice. Visit us at SSIGuardian.com.
5: You can learn a lot about yourself and God from a dog. When her children asked for a dog, this mom got them gerbils. So imagine their surprise, and hers, when she adopted an abandoned dog that she met in Dallas, Texas, just one day after her divorce. In a way that only God could orchestrate, her spur-of-the-moment decision to take in a little dog she named Dallas was just the beginning of a seven-year journey that transformed her life and taught her to see herself and God in a whole new light. Read Doggy Tales, Lessons on Life, Love, and Loss I Learned from My Dog, a delightful and heartwarming book by psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Part memoir, part Christian inspiration, Doggy Tales is a must-read for anyone who wants to learn to recognize God's voice, even in the most unlikely places. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll love Doggy Tales. Go to drpegradiocom books to purchase your copy today. Studies show that safety greatly impacts student learning and a teacher's ability to do what they do best. Be it broken furniture, a leaking roof, or more serious threat of violence, the 21st Century Safe School by School Specialty addresses school safety from the emotional, social, and physical perspective. Don't wait another moment. Call 877-878-5800 or visit SSIGuardian.com.
2: Welcome back, everyone. This is Living Well with Dr. Pegg, and I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. You know, we're in the second half of the year, and have you accomplished the goals that you had in mind for this year? Uh, do you want to get unstuck and establish new habits that will keep you on track? Well, if you're finally ready to make those changes you've been meaning to make all year and all your life— Contact me today to learn more about Results Coaching, a unique approach to coaching that's based on the latest psychological research and behavior change strategies. All coaching is done by phone, which makes it easy and efficient to experience the lasting change that you desire. Schedule a complimentary appointment to learn more at drpegradiocom coaching. Well, we've got a really important show for you today. I've been speaking with national safety and security expert, Michael Yorio, who's the president of SSI Guardian. And he's joined on, by the phone, on the phone by Chief Todd Evans, who is a law enforcement professional and leader who's traveled the world helping keep people safe. Uh, thank you both so much for being on the show today, Michael. Thank you. Pleasure. And Chief Todd, My thanks pleasure. so much. And thank Michael, uh, how can listeners connect with you?
0: Sure. Listeners can visit us at SSIGuardian.com. You uh, can also send an email, info at SSIGuardian.com. And, of course, the phone number that played during the break.
2: All right. Awesome. And you can also reach uh, Chief Todd Evans at SSIGuardian.com. And if you'd like to uh, connect with either of them or share this interview with a friend or if you missed another episode of Living Well with Dr. Pegg, you can just go to peg. Radio.com, and we're also broadcasting on Facebook Live. I've I've got um, Chief Todd and Michael on the phone, so you're only getting to look at my face <laughs> this whole interview. And uh, hopefully, uh, folks are able to hear them clearly. I just got a message from someone on Facebook uh, Live talking about um, um, a continued conversation about workplace safety at her place of empo- uh, of employment. So we're glad that workplaces are talking about safety, but we want to make sure they have the right solutions and the right procedures in place and the right training. And so that's why I've got uh, Michael Yorio and Chief Todd Evans on the program today to make sure that we're we're doing this thing correctly. Um, these incidents that we're talking about, um, they typically don't last very long, do they? Um, uh, Chief Todd, what's the average length of, of an active shooter incident? You've been involved in a lot of critical incidents here in Colorado, and uh, some last longer than others, but what what's the average?
4: The average is five minutes or less. So it's something that we don't, we don't think about how quickly that they occur. But when they do occur, we've got a matter of seconds to react.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, it unfolds very rapidly. Different things can happen. Um, we have to be prepared to really um, move through different options. And, Chief, I'll ask you to talk later about an incident here in Colorado that lasted many hours. Um, but, Michael, that's, that's really not the norm, is it?
0: No, it's absolutely not. Uh, We have to be careful not getting uh, spun up and hemmed up into averages and uh, what's the average time. Um, Some are minutes under five minutes. Some can go hours. Each one is different. Um, So it's a unique threat, and no two threats are identical. Um, That's why it makes it more challenging to not only to prevent but to respond in the right fashion. Uh, People ask me all the time, tell me the top two things I need to do Um, And unfortunately, I don't have that answer because it's many things working in synergy. Effective security requires a comprehensive approach based on best practices. And I would like to stress that term again, once again, Dr. Piggy, best practices. Right now, there are many, many ideas and theories on how we make workplaces safer, how we make schools safer. But it's absolutely imperative that our focus remain on existing best practices that have been proven to do just that, and there are many of these things. Well, I talked about a, a, a effective initiative being comprehensive, but the single most important measure any organization can take is having the right training. Mm. So we hear about workplace training a lot, and after each event, it's kind of been vogue. We talk about it for a couple of weeks, and then people kind of get uh, – Um, a little bit lazy in their way of thinking that, okay, well, this is done and it kind of slips their mind. But having it's the question is, have the question is not rather have you had active shooter training? The question really becomes, have you had the right active shooter training that involves the mental health component in addition to security best practices? And what is the credentials of both that training curriculum and that instructional team that's delivering? So there's a lot of generic things out there off the shelf, um, probably good for basic guidance,
3: mm-hmm.
0: but basic guidance alone will not save lives. It's really that's, that institutions have the correct training and have training that's also specific to their environment. Right. And, and I think the chief will agree with me on this. You're talking about businesses. That's a broad word. It could be a small office. It could be a very large manufacturing facility. So those two incidents those two examples, rather, um, are going to have unique requirements in their training.
2: Absolutely. And we talked earlier about um, where the average uh, in an active shooter incident is five minutes or less, but certainly it could go on for hours. We don't want to get caught up in kind of... um, creating this you know prototypical event because they're all different Mm -hmm. but that short duration really highlights the facts fact that all employees really are immediate responders and do need to be trained because we can't sit back and just wait for law enforcement to rescue us we need to be trained as you're saying michael um based on the environment that we're in and the 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 role that we play and and who's coming in and out and what what the lay of the land is Um, so chief todd um Talk a little bit about um, uh, situational awareness. Michael mentioned that mentioned that earlier, and what's called mental imaging, something that I know you talk a lot about in in the training, is um, when we are aware of what are our unique, um, what's our unique environment in our workplace, uh, and being aware of that and kind of mental imaging. Talk about how important that is.
4: It's truly the ability to be able to take any negative. Uh, that you think you may have in your environment, flip that and turn it into a positive. What do you mean? There's a lot of folks that uh, they think if I'm not in an enclosed office with a, a door that's able to be locked, then I'm in a bad situation where if you take the concept that you just spoke about and someone's mental image their way through it, and as soon as a critical incident may occur, they're the ones in the building that are immediately reacting. Mm. And they're moving, and they're moving away from the threat. Well, there's a lot of times I would rather be in that situation where I have multiple options than stuck in an office uh, that has a door that may or may not lock in that. So it's really just getting to the mindset where you don't look at something and say, you know what, I'm overwhelmed because of the position I'm in. It's how do I turn any negative into a positive? And the only way you do that is to mental image these scenarios through your mind. And any time you have something that comes up, like An Annapolis, you gather the information that you have and say, okay, if this occurred in my workplace, like Michael explained, they can be very different. What would I do and how quickly would I be able to do it? And it's taking those negatives and turning them into positives.
2: Mm-hmm. And so even if you're manager at work doesn't take the initiative to um, put a plan in place, get the right training in place, it sounds like you're suggesting any one of us can Pull the facts of the most recent incident, just like I did. I just kind of went online and kind of saw what was out there and available for us to know about what happened in Annapolis. But you're saying we could each in our individual cubicles or at our desk in our office say, what would I do in my situation if something similar happened and, and mental image our way through, through those options?
4: 100%. And we constantly get that feedback after our trainings of how appreciative people are at just expanding their mindset so now they know they truly have the tools to be able to do that, and they don't need somebody standing next to them telling them what to do. Take an incident like we had in northern Denver uh, last year at the Walmart. Mm -hmm. What happened there, and if I'm with my family in a Walmart and the same thing occurs, what are we going to do immediately?
2: Wow. And Michael, Yorio, you've mentioned several times about a comprehensive um, program that's based on best practices. And it's not about just having any kind of training. It's having the right training. Uh, talk about, um, it's not just planning, but it really is preparation. Uh, what what things should be included in, in the training to make sure that it's best practices? What, what kind of topics?
0: Some of the leading things will be understanding threat indicators, um, having the great policies and protocols in place to address these threat indicators. Uh, situational awareness I touched on that a little bit already Um, to the chief's quick mental imaging but mental imaging after you have been trained on the best practices meaning let's not just pretend that uh, as a non-trained security professional we have the answer in our cubicle and our office out on the manufacturing floor but after the training once you learn these skill sets and understand these options Uh, Mental imaging is certainly a very, very big part of that. Um, Understanding the importance of planning, of preparation, uh, learning life-saving skills. So there are many, many things that are involved uh, with the training um, that truly will save somebody's lives. And and we we can't put all the burden onto law enforcement. Each and every one of us plays a significant role. Uh, One thing we talk about in our training is You, meaning the individual, you are responsible for your own safety and well-being because until law enforcement can get there and do what they have been trained to do, how are you going to survive? So it's really about buying time um, between the start of the incident until the time that law enforcement can get there, take action, and mitigate the threat. Mm
2: -hmm. And Brianna on Facebook Live said that we should never leave our personal safety in someone else's hand hands. And so being trained as a Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so uh, Chief Todd, you know, there's so many different programs out there. Michael is talking about best practices. We've all heard about run, hide, fight. Um, There's other programs as well. And it's not that any of those uh, it's 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 not that those are not necessarily good options in an emergency, but uh, they're not the only options. And we really do have to be trained to make those decisions in a split second as this Uh, situation evolves.
4: We do and being in law enforcement for years people would say can you come train us what can you do how can you help us and I'm going to be quite honest with you police officers aren't always in that role police officers don't understand what might be your workplace and what might be your challenges so it's important that you go out and you seek out a training that's willing to design that training for what your needs are Uh, being a cop and going and doing training, you just can't walk in and give the same canned spiel every time and have it effective. Mm -hmm. So it's real important that you go in and you sit down and the managers understand. And one of the reasons I love to go out and do it is just the feedback that we get after the training because people are very appreciative that we took the time and we made sure that it was designed for their location and all of the concepts were taught based off of what challenges they may have because a canned presentation may work in one scenario, but it absolutely won't on the other. Right. And I love sending people home with with the skills that they can keep their families safe at home. Um, the, the, the employee really feels like that you give them a tool in their tool belt that they can use not only at the workplace, but with their
2: family as well. Right. And Michael, you talk a lot in the training about how law enforcement... Is trained differently to respond in a critical incident than the layperson who's at work in their cubicle. Um, it's mm-hmm. Talk about the, some of those differences, but that it is still important to partner and collaborate with your local inf- law enforcement, but their training really is not appropriate for the layperson.
0: Very di- di- different types of training. Law enforcement is trained by and large to be reactionary, they are trained to arrive on the scene and take out the threat whereas a civilian, your training needs to be focused on preparation, prevention. So we hear one-hide, and keep in mind that they're two different, a law enforcement professional is trained to be in these crisis situations, to be in the face of danger, whereas most civilians are not. So it's the psychological training as well, not just the tactical training, um, that our law enforcement and our first responders go through. Uh, very important. So when we hear one-hide fight, one of the biggest misnomers out there Rawhide fight is good basic guidance, uh, but I really don't consider it training because they're, they're, there's too much room for misinterpretation. Um, there are many out there that believe, okay, well, we're just going to fight the bad guy with a gun. I can promise you anybody coming in to do harm, uh, they're not going to allow you the opportunity to fight them and take their weapon. Now, as an adult, and that's an adult decision, if you're face-to-face with a gunman, your instincts will kick in and you will do what you feel you need to do in order to survive. Um, But in in, in most cases, it's unrealistic to believe. There's an old saying, you don't take a knife to a gunfight. Uh, We are certainly not going to take less than a knife uh, to a gunfight. Um, So we're not asking people to be sheep. We're not asking people or advising people uh, not to take action but it's about being realistic and what your options are. And in the tactical world, even, um, taking an aggressive stance is not always your best option. Uh, And and both Chief and I have worked protective security, and I can tell you uh, a lot of times it's working with your mind instead of a weapon.
2: Well, and so you raise a good point, is um, when you talk about planning and preparation, um, Chief mentioned mental imaging, uh, but mm-hmm. this kind of preparation does require practice. Uh, we talk a lot about drills at school and how fire mm-hmm. drills in particular have saved lives. Uh, but how should we practice at work? So so we want to kind of get ourselves mentally prepared uh, to either evacuate or mm-hmm. to hide out, take cover, mm-hmm. or take action if necessary. But how do you actually practice those kinds of things in the workplace? Would it be similar to like a fire drill if you're doing an evacuation or a lockdown?
0: Yeah, outstanding question. So different forms of practice, and you're absolutely correct, you need to practice these things. You can receive the best training in the world, but if you don't practice it, um, it's not going to be there for you when you need it the most. So things individuals can do on a daily basis is what the chief suggested. Mental imaging, once you have received the proper training and once you understand the appropriate options that are at your disposal, mental image that yourself. So every day you're doing this self-training. So in the event you need to rely on this training, it becomes second nature to you. You don't have to think, you don't have to hesitate to do it. Um, practicing, they're called active shooter exercises. Those are good for organizations to do. It doesn't need to be done in a very traumatic Hollywood-type setting where we're using smoke bombs and fake props and all of these things but more so on the um, functional side. So we understand our evacuation routes. We understand if we need to lock down, where is that safe room? How does that locking device work, Etc. Understanding the best practices. W- w- one thing that's very important that most folks don't think about in a lockdown situation, one of the most important things, obviously you want to lock the door and take cover and all that stuff, is silencing that cell phone. I think the chief will get to this a little bit later when he talks about Planned Parenthood, but that is not an intuitive action to silence your cell phone in a crisis situation. So unless you have been trained to do that, and unless you practice that in mental image, that action, chances are you won't do it. Right. And the importance of that is in a crisis situation, we're texting, we're calling loved ones, law enforcement, et cetera, what's going on, we're trying to get updates. You may be totally out of sight of the shooter, but if he hears your cell phone go off via a text, he's going to know where you're at right
2: and we we forget to turn our cell phones off when we're in the middle of church (laughs) and i've had guests who forget to turn their phone off when they're guests on the radio show so in a crisis situation that might be something that'd be helpful to actually practice silencing your cell phone turning out the lights locking the door and again that practice is going to be helpful i'm speaking with um president of ssi guardian michael yorio And Chief Todd Evans, and if you'd like to ask a question about workplace safety or tell us what your employer is doing to keep you safe at work, you can call us at 303-477-5600. We're taking your calls after these messages. We're going to take a break, and when we return, more from Michael Yorio and Chief Todd Evans with SSI Guardian. Stay with us. I'm taking my own freedom, putting it in my soul.
1: Schools are increasingly adopting 21st century learning strategies. However, safety largely remains absent from the conversation and fragmented efforts continue allowing for security gaps. Studies show effective learning can only exist when students and teachers feel safe. As the industry leader providing innovative educational solutions for more than 58 years, School Specialty has created the 21st Century Safe School, which aligns next generation learning best practices with proven safety solutions focused on the mental, physical, and emotional well-being
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark. Do you ever make changes, but after a few days, weeks, or even months, you slip back into your old behaviors and patterns? If you want something different, you've got to do something different, yet most people won't do what's required to experience the lasting change they say they want. Why? Because change is hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. If you're ready for change, join me for a one-day, do something different for a change, Personal Transformation Retreat. In this intensive yet intimate retreat, you'll learn fundamental principles and strategies for lasting change and transformation and craft a customized plan that you can put into action right away. Contact me today to schedule your own private VIP Do Something Different for a Change Personal Transformation Retreat. Go to drpegradio.com/retreat. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark, and this is Living Well with Dr. Pegg. And my guests today are National Safety and Security Expert Michael Yorio and Law Enforcement Professional Chief Todd Evans, and you can connect with both of them at SSIGuardian.com, and I'll also have a link to them on my website at DrPegRadio.com we're taking your calls today. If you've experienced workplace violence or you'd like to ask my guests a question about how to stay safe at work, you can call us at 303-477-5600. And um, as uh, Chief Todd said earlier, and this is what I love about uh, this kind of information is it's not only valuable at work, but you can share it with your family and help to keep your family safe. Uh, So that's awesome. Michael Yorio, thanks so much for being with me today by phone. Absolutely. And Chief Todd Evans, thanks again so much as well. Pleasure. Well, Chief Todd, let's talk about uh, another workplace shooting that you responded to here in Colorado Um, Planned Parenthood uh, in Colorado Springs. Uh, This is an example of a workplace shooting that did last longer than the average of five minutes. Uh, but what what's also unique and instructive about uh, Planned Parenthood is the fact that there were very few people killed. In fact, um, one person who was a law enforcement person responding to the incident, uh, but no employees or clients of Planned Parenthood were killed that day. And that is quite remarkable. Our, our prayers go out to uh, the officer who did lose his life. Uh, it is remarkable that they all survived, and they survived because they had thought this through and practiced and planned.
4: Well, that's correct. And, and just to make sure, uh, there were two individuals that were en route uh, that were tragically murdered um, before they had gotten inside the Planned Parenthood mm. along with the officer themselves. But you're absolutely correct. Everyone that was inside, all of the employees made it out. Um, so a lot of lessons learned. And they were very proactive in, in having training, um, going through multiple uh, possible incidents that could occur, each of the employees having individual plans in their individual areas, and they saw that when it did happen, they all reacted as they were trained. And Michael mentioned turning the phones off. That was something that we got from the individual uh, that was going into the Planned Parenthood that he was listening for were those phones. And you touched on it a little bit uh, right before the break in that how many people you know forget about etiquette um, and they and they just don't turn their phone off during a meeting or something else important, church. But let's remember, even though they go, well, that's not like a critical incident. In the critical incident, what's going to overtake you is your adrenaline dump. And a lot of the things that you're going to assume that you will be thinking of in the middle of a critical incident, you absolutely will not. That's been shown through research. It's it's something that will physically happen to you. So if you haven't trained and practiced, as you've mentioned, you won't react that way. And thank goodness that the Planned Parenthood here in Colorado Springs, they had been very, very proactive with that, and it absolutely saved people's lives on that day. Mm
2: -hmm. And a common uh, saying that you'll hear with this kind of work is we we won't rise to the occasion like we think we will, but we will return to our level of training. And so you might in your mind think, oh, you know, I would do this, I would do that. But if you haven't practiced it, you haven't mental imaged it, you haven't planned it through, you're just going to sink to that level of lack of training, really.
4: That's right. And how many trainings do we have where we're sitting there with professionals? We do this for cops. We do this for administrators who who think they have thought through all those things. How many times do they mention during the training, I never thought of that? Mm -hmm. I never thought of that. Um, And that's one of those things that we can all continue to learn. And when we travel overseas, uh, Michael mentioned it earlier, that we both have traveled overseas where we had to use our minds rather than depend on a weapon. Because overseas, a lot of the people we did executive protection for, I'll ask people, what guns do you think we had when we were protecting this individual? And they'd say, well, I'll bet you had a handgun. I'll bet you had one down here. You had one there. And the answer is, actually, we didn't have any. Hmm. Either the clients didn't want us to take weapons or the country we were in wouldn't allow us to bring weapons in. Wow. So the only thing we had to depend on was our minds and being proactive.
2: Wow. Wow, that's amazing. I actually didn't realize that, and I know... Um, Both of you have traveled and protected really important people and uh, didn't realize you didn't have weapons uh, in some of those situations.
4: To the point that they would send individuals, if we would land on a private plane, they would send customs and they would send other law enforcement, depending on what country you're in, onto the plane to make sure even though we knew we couldn't bring any, that we physically didn't have any weapons on the plane or on our person when we got off the plane.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, Will, we'll, I'm going to be asking you uh, in more detail about this, Michael, in a moment, uh, but it does mm-hmm. bring up the question of um, armed guards and armed employees on the work site because we're hearing that debate with schools. So I'm going to get your opinion on that in a moment for workplaces, but I want to talk a little bit more about Planned Parenthood before we move on. And so... Um, Uh, Chief Todd, we were talking about the simple act of turning off a cell phone, but what what role did that play in the Black Friday Planned Parenthood shooting uh, that uh, that they had their cell phones turned off was so significant? Why?
4: Approximately half made it out during the immediate uh, beginning of this. He started firing as he was in the parking lot moving his way in, and as they did that, they reacted as they were trained, and the ones that were in the back half of the building or the north end of the building, they worked their ways out to the exits that they had trained before and planned. There was many others that were at the front of the building that didn't make it out. Several of them hid in pre-planned locations because he had cut off their access of being able to get out. Um, others were trapped in there. They only had a couple of doors that locked in that entire building, even though there was a bunch of exam rooms, and that was in the restrooms. And inside those restrooms, there were multiple people inside as well as people hiding in drawers and other things within just regular workplace areas. But they immediately turned off their phones, and it became very, very, um, uh, it, it, when we were interviewing this individual, it became very, very, that was one of his main tactics was listening for people's phones to, to go off while he was moving throughout the Planned Parenthood. So just something that simple, but something that they had to have been trained in mental image and, and practice save people's lives. Yeah, and we absolutely. also, we communicated with them on their phones, but they, their phones were off and he couldn't hear them.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so you said something else as well, that many people were able to escape to evacuate. Uh, they knew the evacuation routes. They knew the different options that they could exit, uh, but some were trapped inside, um, but they were not found. One, because they turned their cell phones off. But number two, you said they had pre-planned hiding places in their particular areas. Talk, talk about that a little bit more.
4: You know, individuals think that um, their work environment is how it sits. What they don't understand is we all have the ability, especially if you work with your, with your uh, supervisors within a workplace, to make it unique, to be able to change it so that you can actually shelter something rather than just depend on a door, so that you can um, uh, create hiding spaces within a work area yourself. And don't ever depend on, it was brought up earlier, um, I think by one of your listeners, don't depend on somebody else to come in and tell you how to be safe. You know your work environment better than any of us do. You know the areas that you can harden and those soft areas that you can't. If you're in a soft area, then we're going to put a higher precedence and a higher priority on how we're going to get out and as quickly as we can get out. Remember, every window can be used to enter your location, but it's also to your advantage. You can use it to exit your location. So those are just some very quick ideas.
2: Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, Michael, let's talk about, Michael Yorio, let's talk about hardening of work sites and metal detectors. This is a topic you've talked about before on my show as it pertains Mm -hmm. to schools and teachers and school children. Um, Talk about some of the concerns, the issues, the benefits, the the cons of hardening our work sites and placing metal detectors and having armed guards or even employees with with, uh, firearms on site?
0: Sure. Well, no two facilities are identical, be it a schoolhouse or be it a uh, corporate environment. So everybody, every entity is going to have different needs. Um, When we talk about hardening facilities... Um, that is a best practice, hardening that facility that meets your specific, most pressing needs. So for an example, making sure you have a proper lockdown device, which isn't a inexpensive latch lock that is easily breached, but having a deadbolt locking me- mechanism that has been specifically designed to meet fire code, ADA compliant code, specifically following Department of Homeland Security recommendations that is quick and easy, such as pressing a red button and you're on instant lockdown. Having ballistic doors in your safe rooms. Now, I'm not suggesting every, every door in an office uh, facility should have ballistic doors, but in those designated safe rooms. Uh, when it comes to, and there's a host of other things to do, Dr. Peggy, metal detectors, um, they can certainly help harden the facility. Uh, in school, it's more challenging um, because of the constant flow of students, teachers, and the whole educational environment. Now, many, many schools are implementing metal detectors, uh, which I do not think metal detectors have any inherent risk to them. Again, they're a best practice, but we have to be careful with any of these things that we do not put a full confidence in while we have metal detectors, while we have uh, a lot while we have a armed SRO that we are completely safe. Uh, no one major is completely foolproof. As it pertains to arming personnel and arming teachers, we're asked this very, very often. Uh, so I'll start with the schools if I may. There's mm-hmm. absolutely no evidence that placing weapons into schools make them any safer. We know that it does not prevent active shooters uh, from taking action. If we look at Santa Fe, there were two armed SROs. In Parkland, there was an armed deputy. In Columbine, I believe there were two armed security guards. In Virginia Tech, there was an armed campus police staff. So many, many of the schools that have been hit have had armed personnel. Um, here's an interesting fact. Since Columbine in 1999, only one school shooter – has been apprehended or stopped by an armed school resource officer. So they've they either been stopped by when law enforcement arrives, SWAT team gets there, uh, many take their own lives, and some have surrendered. Uh, on the workplace, again, that's a decision that the organization needs to place. Um, I believe that decision comes with a great deal of liability. Um, but if that decision is made, you want to make sure that you are placing the right people the right professionals with those weapons so a, a certified professional law enforcement professional absolutely that's the best practice mm-hmm. but just arming somebody or hey we're going to give you 140 hours of training that sounds like a lot but to put that into perspective that's approximately a month so a one month of somebody's life for weapons training um, doesn't make me feel real comfortable, and it's unrealistic to believe that that person uh, is going to be your protector. Um, the psychological training also needs to be considered. So it, it, it's one thing to fire on the range and shoot at a paper target or some other form of a target, but when you're face-to-face with another human, human being, even with proper training, and the chief can yeah. speak to this, even in law enforcement where, where they practice all the time, and they're prepared for that situation, you get a panic sets in, and in the military as well, and you don't know how you're going to respond. So it it all sounds easy, but I promise you that it's not, and the real-life situations are not reminiscent of what we see in the movies.
2: Yeah. Chief Todd, uh, do you have any thoughts about what Michael shared? You uh, ran the police academy, you were involved with SWAT, overseeing SWAT teams. Um, It's it's not that easy, (laughs) Uh, In that crisis situation, as you talked about, the adrenaline dump uh, to to respond. And we saw even with one of the school attacks where the SRO evidently um, did not go in. And he was the trained law enforcement professional.
4: It's truly changing culture because we really have been taught, and it's kind of ingrained in our mindset, that as soon as we get a hold of 911, help is on the way. And I can't tell you how many actual 911 calls that I've listened to. After the fact, where people have, they've literally said, "This is my location. This is what's going on." And within a minute or two, they're saying, "Where are they at? Where are the cops at? Where are mm. the cops at?" Because it is fed into that individual that they will not get there fast enough to really make um, something that will stop that critical incident immediately. You know, Annapolis and Annapolis, the information we got coming out is they got on scene very quickly, within just a few minutes. But you still saw how many deaths we had and how much injury we had. And that person at that point just decided to stop and crawl under a desk.
3: Mm-hmm. So
4: we have to just stop thinking that police are going or anyone armed. Uh, we saw the reaction in Parkland that you mentioned of did the individual go in, did they not? You cannot predict. And we've done this training with our military, and their heads shake up and down when we tell and we say you cannot predict in a critical incident how someone, even with a badge, and a uniform and a weapon are going to react. They all shake their heads up and down because they've been in those situations.
3: Mm-hmm. Don't, but w-
4: don't put that responsibility on anybody else. Right. You right. have an individual plan.
2: Right, and while we're, we're advocating um, that you're the immediate responder, you've got to take responsibility for your safety, we still know, as we've been emphasizing throughout the whole program, that uh, planning and preparation and practice and mental imaging and the right training... Uh, based on best practices is going to be our best um, line of defense uh, to, right. to not only prevent but respond in these incidents. Uh, we That's only have the only a, a, way you'll get mm-hmm. there.
4: the only way you'll get there.
2: We only have a couple minutes left, so I want to talk briefly about um, uh, the immediate aftermath and recovery. And so while the incidents may be over in a few minutes um, or even in the extreme uh, matter of hours like we saw with Planned Parenthood, Uh, the aftermath and recovery is typically quite long. And so for workplace violence, it really would be imperative uh, for the management to consider, in addition to the proper training and and emergency operations plans, um, recovery has got to be part of that plan. How do we keep business going? Uh, How do we provide for the emotional and psychological needs of the survivors uh, who may have been locked in a safe room for hours you know in in some extreme cases or may have witnessed someone being killed right next to them or may have even been injured themselves even though they did survive Uh, michael could you talk a little bit about uh, recovery and then chief todd uh, i'll give you the final word on that as well
0: sure the recovery phase is extremely important and it also has to be planned and accounted for Uh, we're not going to have a quick effective recovery uh, if we didn't plan for that We will just be guessing and trying to, um, you know, to just a lot of guesswork would be involved. So that has to be part of the training, too. Uh, And the training that we provide certainly covers those critical topics. Um, Operational recovery. Then there's the counseling, the psychological recovery. And I don't uh, pretend to uh, play in your sandbox, Dr. Peggy. uh, But it's important that institutions, whether it's uh, an organization or a school, Take that into consideration and make the appropriate uh, accommodations. Uh, trauma can be very, very impactful. You know, it's a misnomer that, well, only the people at that workplace were traumatized. I can tell you in Annapolis at this moment, that entire community is traumatized mm-hmm. because it hits so close to home.
2: Absolutely. So that's all
0: part of the recovery process.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Michael Yorio. And Chief Todd will give you the last word. You got about 20 seconds. <laughs>
4: You know, I just want everyone to understand that they all have a part and they all need to understand. When we go out and train, sometimes we hear administration saying, we're going to give this to the line level folks, but we don't need to go to that. Everything you talked about, it will impact administration down to the lowest line level and their families. Take care of each other.
2: Yeah, outstanding. Well, Michael, Yorio, Chief Todd, thank you both so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. Chief, Dr. Peggy, be safe. Thank you, Michael. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to Living Well with Dr. Pegg. My guests have been Michael Yorio and Chief Todd Evans, and I'm Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark reminding you to live well.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Living Well with Dr. Pegg. For more information or to contact Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark about her mental health or consulting services, please visit her webpage at drpegradio.com.